You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Without ever holding public office, Ralph Nader built a legislative record that is the rival of any contemporary president. Many things we take for granted, including seat belts, airbags, product labeling, and no nukes are largely due to the efforts of Nader and his citizen groups. Yet today, when most people hear the name Ralph Nader, they think of the man who gave the country George W. Bush. In their new film, An Unreasonable Man, filmmakers Henriette Mantel and Steve Scrovan traced the life and career of Nader. Scrovan worked as a stand-up comedian and TV comedy writer for 25 years. Most notably, he has written for Seinfeld, and for the past nine years, Everybody Loves Raymond, where he was an executive producer. Steve Scrovan, welcome to Film School. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. How are you today? It's been great. We had an opening in New York, and we're opening in Los Angeles this week. It's been quite a ride. I hear that Ralph Nader is going to be there on Friday night in at the New Art in L.A. Is that right? He, he'll be there Friday and Saturday. Oh, he's coming Saturday. Evening. Yeah, for the 9th and 10th for the evening performances uh, at the New Art in Santa Monica. That's uh, 4.30 and 7.30, I think, on the... On the, uh, Seven, the t- I know it's 7.15. Okay. Is one, and I... Well, that, thirty could be the other one. I'm not that, quite sure of the time. Yeah, I never trust the L.A. Times, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you come into this? What What's the genesis of this project? Well, the genesis for me was I was looking for an idea for a sitcom. I'm a TV <laughs> writer, and I had a development deal. And my friend Henriette Mantel, we were comedians in New York in the 80s. She used to tell me stories about working for Ralph. She worked for him as a uh, office manager in the late 70s, early 80s, and even back then, before I was a writer, I said to her, that would be a good setting for a show, a public interest office, where anybody could walk in, a lot of quirky characters. Fifteen years later, I'm on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, and I get a development deal, and I'm looking for an idea, and I run into Henriette, and we start talking about her Ralph experience again, and I start taking notes about all the quirky characters and the situations, and uh, even got to the point where I, I, I wrote an outline for a pilot, but then as I started doing more actual research on Ralph Nader himself, I was kind of struck by how much he had accomplished and intrigued by the fact that a lot of his friends were mad at him. And I thought, that's, that's kind of an interesting conflict to explore. And I looked around, there was no definitive documentary, and found myself in a position through Henriette, because she had the trust of, uh, of Ralph and the people close to him, to uh, be in a position to actually uh, do the documentary, and that's that's kind of how it started. I didn't come in with any partisan uh, agenda at all. I was just kind of looking for an idea for a story. Well, I've got to say, it's it's a very fine documentary, and I've, I've seen my fair share of them, and I really like the way it's balanced. I mean, it, it is balanced toward Nader, but there's no holding back on who, uh, who you're interviewing viewing and, and what they're saying. Uh, did uh, Mr. Nader go along with that concept? Uh, well, you know what? He had very little to do with it. Oh. He didn't really know what we were doing. He uh. just agreed to be interviewed. And he, uh, after seeing it, I mean, actually the only thing he kind of said to us during the process was, make sure you talk to people who oppose me. Okay. <laughs> Which really does sound like him. He is that kind of, you have to appreciate that he's the kind of guy that doesn't uh, suffer syncophants. That's absolutely true, and he doesn't. He never shies away from an argument. That's kind of how he was raised. <laughs> yeah. 
he believes that whatever he argues will stand up to the uh, criticism. In this film, as Nathan just said, it's it's well worth seeing. They let it fly. I don't think that of the people that you interview that uh, have some uh, bad things to say about Ralph, they don't hold back. They did not hold back, and, and we're actually grateful to them for that because uh, a lot of people wouldn't talk to us. A lot of people who were angry really? wouldn't talk to us because they didn't want to look bad. Certain Congress people and, and other people who uh, uh, know Ralph, but Can Eric Alterman and Todd Gitlin uh, really did us uh, a favor by uh, articulating the very real anger that's out there. You could see and sense the the real hostility that uh, that the two of them had, uh, regardless, particularly regarding the the two thousand presidential campaign. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they they really kind of spoke for that emotional. Yeah, were you in the room with them when this was being filmed? Oh, yeah, I, I did the interviewing. Ah, very good. Yeah. Now, now, <laughs> did... It was not easy to sit through necessarily, yeah. but as it was happening, I knew it was going to be great for the movie. Oh, yeah. Eric Alterman almost seemed to be drooling, I guess I'd say. He was visibly <laughs> yeah. upset, yes. Yeah, he's visibly upset at this, and I guess this is a, a club meeting here of, of Ralph Nader supporters, but at the same time... It was nice to have that footage only because in context of what Ralph Nader's done through his career and what he's done for this country, it paints Eric Alterman as as a fool. I know that you don't want to say that, but at least this viewer looked at him as, as a man who his rage far outweighed his intelligence. Well, you should see what we cut out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess, in, and I guess the, the, the articulation on the part of Todd Gitlin and Eric Alderman speaks really to the state of the electoral process in this country where someone who is obviously a public servant who has spent his life in public service is reviled for for bringing to the forefront issues that are of everyday importance to every american and and yet the people who are the sort of the the 8 by 10 glossy candidates are the ones right. that we exalt you, you mentioned people that you uh, that didn't want to appear in the film that you were trying to get in. Is there anyone you can mention? Well, uh, yeah, I'll mention one, Mike, Michael Moore. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. We asked him uh, a number of times, and he uh, he, he declined. Well, he, he is represented yeah. in the film. In, yeah. in, in, at the he's represented, at, yeah, at but we, we wanted to give him a chance to, yeah. to you know, speak to us uh, you know, in the other setting, too. He has a long and, and tumultuous relationship with Ralph beginning with the early uh, stages of Roger and me and, and, and actions that were going on in Flint. So he, he's, you know, he just didn't want to be well, a part of that. Well, in, in, the, two, in the footage uh, for the 2000 election, the super rallies, yeah. uh, he is extremely supportive of Ralph Nader. And, and then we see a, a, a scene of him with Bill Maher on, his, on Bill Maher's program where he's literally begging Ralph Nader did not run in 2004. On his knees. On right. his knees. So. Right. Was, was any of this file footage difficult to get that you have? The, uh, you know, especially way back when uh, the, uh, the automobile test footage and the pictures of uh, Mr. Nader in front of, I guess it would be a Senate subcommittee. It, was, it wasn't necessarily difficult to get. We had a great researcher, Elizabeth Olson, who, uh, out of Washington, who, uh, you know, we would say, hey, we need something like this. And, and she had all the connections. There are all these archival houses, and also the networks have all their archival uh, departments, too. It's not hard to get. It's uh, hard to buy. Yeah, It's, uh, <laughs> it's very expensive. It Probably is. the single biggest expense we had was the licensing. 
Did you feel at all qualified in, as being a stand-up comic? And I know that Henriette was, was doing documentaries before. Did you ever get to a point where, where you wondered what you were doing in a situation here, or did you feel pretty comfortable putting this together? No, from the time, from the time we sort of got the go-ahead, uh-huh. uh, I said, oh, my God, what, what am I going to do now? <laughs> I've never done this. It's easy to write something down on a piece of paper, but now yeah. we have to actually do this? Come yeah. on. <laughs> And we were talking to uh, uh, a woman named Ellen Bonnell who made our first uh, budget, who made a budget. That was a, kind of the first thing we did. And I remember saying to her, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, you know, most documentary filmmakers don't. They just have <laughs> a passion for the story. And, yeah. and I thought, well, at least I qualify on that count. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, which puts me in good company. But then I found that, you know, it's all storytelling. Yeah. And, and whether you're doing jokes but set up punchline, or you, you're doing uh, you know sitcom writing, episodic television. It's all storytelling, and I, I think that skill set actually uh, that Hen and I both brought to it probably made what could have been a pretty dull movie about a lot of it about passing legislation. We we were able to tell it in a, in a way that was of interest, had had humor in it, but it's all storytelling mm-hmm. ultimately. What what I like about it too is. You don't tell it. <laughs> right. it's, you're using everyone else's words to tell it. There's, there's no narrator in this at all. Was that a conscious decision on your part at some point, or did you go into it with that in mind? I went into it with that in mind because uh, I didn't want to impose uh, a narrative voice in it that's kind of pointing you how to feel and how to think. Uh-huh. And we had enough people in this movie, enough talking heads in this movie, that we could let them tell their own stories. And so, so just the... The principle was we're either going to have a group of people telling a story together as if they were sitting in a room recounting it or people arguing with each other. That's basically the, the principle with no, no narrator sort of pointing you uh, around. I think it worked. People get halfway through the movie before they realize, oh, wait, there's no narrator here. Well, it does work. It's a, it's a fine job. And Did you take part in the editing? Yeah. Well, I wrote a script, which uh, actually made our editing go much quicker because it was so much material, so many hours of interviews and, and uh, so many hours of archival footage that it was not something we were going to just say, oh, dump on an editor's lap and say, here, you make something of this. Mm-hmm. There was no way. This is two years of research. So nobody knew the story like we did. So the script was very important, and the editors would assemble what we had written. Then we would refine it from there. I have to say, when I when I first heard about the documentary, I really did expect kind of a hallmark take on Ralph Nader. Yeah. What has been the reaction from, let's say, Todd Gitlin and some of the people that are in the film to the film? Have you gotten any re- feedback from them? I haven't heard from Todd. We heard from Eric, who saw it at Sundance, who uh, actually said, you know, it's a serious, solid piece of work, which, you know, oh, for him was a rave. He didn't <laughs> like the way he was used. He thought... He uh, was used in snippets, I think, what he said, and then barraged by a bunch of uh, Nader people. But I think if you, if you really look at the movie, it's, yeah. it's a real back and forth, and sometimes his point of view does get the last word. Nobody has told me, you know what you need in this movie? More Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I, I, again, I think that one, the value, the, the, uh, the thing that comes across in the film, and as as the last 20 minutes really allow you to understand the, the breadth of his work and the context, the weight of what he has done. And I think the argument that uh, at one point is used, which is in 2000, we got Bush and, you know, how horrible was that? But then as Ralph says, what were the Democrats doing and what have they done since? 
And right. really, how is that their behavior has in any way disproven the value of his candidacy? And right. you, you have to come away with it. I do. The which is that it has that he was right, and we have been subject to a supine Democratic opposition and and uh, not much else. Yeah, people come come away with a lot of different feelings about it. And as filmmakers, we wanted to sort of present evidence actually in a very Nader-like fashion, because yeah. when he was doing the, uh, yeah. you know, all these reports in the late 60s, early 70s, it was just about getting facts out there that, and getting things out in the open. And then when you do that, you trust that uh, your facts will carry the day. And, yeah. you know, we just, again, wanted to tell an interesting story and not bore people, let them make up their own minds. Was there a point in time, you know, you said that early on you were asking yourself, what am I doing here? And I also yeah. want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Steve Scrovan, who's one of the filmmakers involved in An Unreasonable Man, a documentary about Ralph Nader. Was there a point in time when you're making this where you said, I know what I'm doing, this feels right, you know, I've, I've got a documentary, it's come together? When we started showing pieces of it to people, that started, it started coming across, because when you're in doing something and you're mm-hmm. so into the minutia of it, you think... You know, nobody else is going to be interested in this. You know, uh, I'm going to be the only one that's even interested in this. And then uh, I remember uh, we showed the first hour of a rough cut to a couple of friends of mine just in the edit bay. Mm -hmm. What I was looking more than anything else was to see if they looked at their watches or (laughs) or looked away or fidgeted. And that that wasn't happening. And uh, then we had another one with a little longer version, and the same thing happened. And somebody said, it was riveting. I was riveted. Yeah. and I never forget because I thought, oh my God, maybe we are onto something here. <laughs> the part of the movie they saw wasn't even the the, you know, the political part, which everybody is so is so fresh in people's minds. It was the consumer movement part. Well, the whole thing is riveting. The film is An Unreasonable Man, a documentary about the life of Ralph Nader. Steve Scrovan, its co-director, thank you for being on Film School. Thank you. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.